Welcome to So Loved, hosted by yours truly, Pastor Seth Lewis. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. One of the most endearing hymns ever written about Christian suffering and the trials of Christian faith, it is well with my soul. It is well with our souls because Christ Jesus has saved our souls. Before we get started, I'm going to open up with a word of prayer. And then I'm going to share a song. I will confess to you that it has been a very difficult thing for me to prepare a sermon to deliver this day to you this week. I have tried countless times to record myself with things that I have prepared over the week, and I felt no leading in them to the point of frustration. I have not been slack in my study of God's word this week, my relationship with him and fellowshipping with him and with others. But the message just did not come for me to prepare. And so I am relying on God's Holy Spirit here today. And I am going to speak on some notes that I have made for myself in the past. I believe very relevant to what I preached on last week about why men choose darkness rather than light. I want to define today what is meant by the world. When God so loved the world, but that also the friendship with the world is enmity with God. There are two meanings there that differ one from the other, and I want to go over that today. So let me go ahead and pray, and then I'll open up with this song, and we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, I just come before you and bear my all. I ask God that you would take complete control here today. I ask for your spirit to inspire and to strengthen. I pray for everyone listening today. I pray that we would be united in your great love for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
One of the most, if not the most, endearing songs ever written about Christian suffering and the trials of Christian faith. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul because Jesus Christ has saved my soul. And I am thankful that he has saved me and that he has given me life and he has given me power and strength to live life in this world. I'm going to go ahead and get into this right away. The title of this sermon, I'm going to title The World. In the last couple of weeks, I have been preaching on Christ's resurrection. Last week, I preached on why men choose darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And I took directly from John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We have to define the world in order to understand God's love for the world, but also God's hatred for the world. 
We know that those who are a friend of the world are an enemy of God. That the things that are highly esteemed among men in this world are an abomination to God. There is a difference in the word world found in John chapter 3 than found in verses, say, like James chapter 4, verse 4, which I will quote here shortly. But let me define for you five meanings of the word world used in the Greek. The world in the New Testament is usually the Greek word cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S, spelled differently in the Greek, but cosmos or cosmos. It is related to a verb which means to set in order or to adorn or decorate. Greek lexicographers give five meanings for the world or for the word world, cosmos, in New Testament usage. The first, the universe created by God with design and order before the foundation of the world, i.e. We find Matthew chapter 13, 35, the use of this world, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. John chapter 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, For you loved me before the foundation of the world. And lastly, in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hand. And so the first meaning in the Greek of the word cosmos or world is the universe created by God with design and order. The second meaning that's given to the word world is the planet earth. In John chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. That is referencing the earth. This includes the idea of earth as the dwelling place of human beings and of earth as contrasted with heaven. So the second is the planet Earth is called the world. The third meaning given to the word world is the total of mankind. We find reference in Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of mankind. The total of mankind. You are the light of the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. In John chapter 3, 16, again, the total of mankind is referenced here. This is the meaning of this world. For God so loved the world, the total of mankind, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And lastly, for this meaning of world, the total of mankind 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world. 
the offscoring of all things until now. And so the fourth meaning given to the word world used in the Bible, the total of human existence in this present life with all of its experience, possessions, and emotions made the filth of the world. Noted in 1 Corinthians 4.13, that's the total of mankind, but the total of human existence in this present life with all of its experience, possessions, and emotions. Matthew chapter 16.26 gives us reference for this. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 33, But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. So the total of human existence in this present life with all of its experience, possessions, and emotions. And lastly, the fifth definition of world in the Bible used, the world order which is alienated from God in rebellion against him, and condemned by nature and by godless deeds, the world order which is alienated from God. There nearly needs no reference, and I'll give more references concerning this one later on. But those are the five definitions or meanings for the world or cosmos in the New Testament usage. The universe created by God, the planet Earth itself, the total of mankind, the total of human existence in this present life with all of its experience, possessions, and emotions, and the world order which is alienated from God in rebellion against him and condemned by nature and by godless deeds. There is a difference between the collective world order in opposition to God referred to in James chapter 4, verse 4, which says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There is a difference between the collective world order in opposition to God referred to in James chapter 4, verse 4, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, and the collective living world loved by God that Jesus addresses in John chapter 3, 16. Again, James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 70 says, Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. This is in relationship to the total of human existence in this present life and the world order which is alienated from God in rebellion against him, and condemned by nature and godless deeds. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not of the Father, but are of the world. And then we contrast these two passages 
with John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The total of mankind is referenced here. Regardless of whether or not they are alienated from God, God loves the total of mankind so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him out of the world, alienated from him, will be saved. So this is the opportunity of those who are alienated from God to come into the family of God just by accepting that gift of salvation found in the sacrifice of the only begotten Son of God. So I have questions that I wrote down. How can God love something or someone in direct opposition to him? The very essence of John 3.16 connotes a very real lost and dark reality in the world that is only reversible through the work of God's salvation plan. It alludes to the human condition as one perishable and two on the opposite side of being in unity with his pleasure. So we know that those who do not have God in their lives, who have not accepted the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection life, are condemned. They are perishing in sin. They are on the opposite side of being in unity with God and his plan. That is the question that stands. How can God love something or someone in direct opposition to him? And the answer, I believe, is that he doesn't love them for what they are doing or what they are in the present, sinful and in opposition to him and his work, his holiness. He loves them for the potential that he sees in them to become children who are well-pleasing in his sight. What does it mean for us as Christians that we were saved? Saved by grace. It means that because of the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, we were freed from sin and death that made us dirty and separated us from God and has now cleaned us and made us acceptable in his sight. We are now free in him and we are now loved by him because of that potential he saw in us from the beginning. Remember, it is he who chooses us. We do not choose him. He knows those who are his, and he seeks them, and he shows them the paths of life. He shows them the way of salvation. It is by his inspiration that people come to the knowledge of his saving grace. Therefore, there is a love that God has for the world in conjunction with his hatred for what it stands for. The love God has for the world pre-existed anyone's love for him. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 19, it says this, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. It is not because we sought him and found him, 
It is because he revealed himself to us when we needed something more. And we did not close our hearts to his outstretched arm, but sought him deeper and more intimately. And we found him and we have accepted his gift and have been saved by his grace the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus. There is an underlying theme in God's work here on earth that can appear as a conundrum. A conundrum, a confusing and difficult problem or question. There is an underlying theme in God's work here on earth that can appear as a conundrum that does not seem ascertainable to our understanding because his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. That's in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. I have more questions here that I wrote down concerning why God saves the wicked, why God loves the world so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world. These are questions that I've had that I really believe found the answer to by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One of these questions is, why keep taking fruit from a rotten tree? Why, knowing that the world was corrupted with sin, would you continue taking fruit from it? Second question, why save wretches when you could have created acceptable and well-pleasing humans from the start? Why not just leave man and woman in the garden and make them perfect and not put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst to tempt them? Why not just create the world perfect and the people in it perfect who perfectly worship and adore you and give you the praise and love that you deserve? Why save wretches and make them children? Why not uproot the entire crop and replant it new? Those are the questions that I've had in the past concerning the world defined as being in opposition, alienated from God, rebellion against him. Why not just uproot and replant in a way he did through the work of Jesus Christ? That is the whole purpose for why he came to earth. To pluck up that which has been rotted, that which is of no use, and to plant new, a seed of life in those who are willing and ready to be changed by him and his life-giving power. So I find the answer comes easy for me. Why not uproot the entire crop and replant it new? I find that the answer comes easy for me. God, who is the creator of all life, sees life as precious and valuable, even when that life occupies vessels who do not honor him. He has reconciled us through Christ. Reconciliation, the definition, is restoration of friendly relationships and of peace where before there had been hostility and alienation. Those alienated from God have now been made close friends of God. Those who were alienated and called enemies of God are now called his friends. Not only are they called his friends, but they are called his children, more intimate than a friend. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There is the replanting, the seed of righteousness. Inside what before was wickedness, corruption, death because of sin. He has now planted inside of us that seed of life in him. Behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. There is the validation for our purpose here on earth, that we are not here for ourselves. We have now that word of reconciliation. That mission of restoration of friendly relationships and of peace between God and men. We are preparing the paths of righteousness for men to walk here on earth that point directly to a friendship with God. And again, I reiterate, not only a friendship, but a son and daughtership that lasts for all eternity. That is why we hear here on this earth. The different passages that reflect different views of the world from God's perspective are addressing the same world, but not the same love for it. It is all the same world. But as I said before, God is looking at the potential of what men can become in him. And he is seeing them as his children before they even make the choice to become his children. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read clearly that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. There is that restoration of friendly relationships and of peace, where before there had been hostility and alienation. Jesus Christ has united us with God Almighty as his children, and we are no longer slaves of sin and death. We are now become children of the living God, and while in this world we have received the word of reconciliation to bring men to that knowledge of Jesus Christ and to solidify the gospel as truth against the lies of this world. Let me reiterate the different passages that reflect different views of the world in the Bible from God's perspective are addressing the same world, but not the same love for it. When we look at passages like John 3.16, for God so loved the world, we are seeing God's sacrificial love regardless of their opposition to him, their alienation from him. When we look at passages like 1 John chapter 15 through 17 or James chapter 4, 4, 
which talks about the friendship of the world being enmity with God, we are seeing humanity's selfish love. This is very important for understanding the apparent conundrum of how God can so love the world, but also have extreme hatred for it. This explains it, that God is extending a hand of mercy to those in opposition against him and his plan. God is calling people out of darkness and wanting to make them children of light as we have been made children of light. And so this, we can understand that God loves the world in darkness, but he also hates what it stands for. He doesn't have the same love for their deeds, for their actions, for their opposition, as he does for the individual who are slaves to it. When we are born again, we are no longer of the world, much like picked fruit is no longer a part of the tree on which it once grew. Or precious stones or metals, when they are taken from the earth and refined, made into something different and more endearing. At one time, the diamonds were raw and they were in the earth and they were a part of the earth. That raw, untouched, uncut earth. But once they are mined out of the earth, they are cut into something beautiful and more endearing, ready to wear and be admired. We are not only fruit on a tree. We are not only precious metals or stones of the earth. We are children of the living God who he is making more and more perfect day by day like him. And at the end, we will unload our packs from the long march that we have made and we will rest in peace with him. What has become new in us is that God's selfless and sacrificial love has now been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That comes from Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And let me just read you verse 1 through 5, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We are new and no longer a part of this world with all its lusts, desires, and selfish acts. But we are in the world so that we can testify that there is hope for those who are perishing. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8-9 through 9, But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so, for God so loved the world that He did give His only begotten Son. If there was only one verse left 
in this world from God's holy word. With the name Jesus Christ behind it, it would be that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world, those in opposition, those alienated from him, those who are slaves to wickedness in this world, would not perish. He did not come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let us stand together, united in love for one another, and let us divest ourselves of any pride or arrogance, any self-centeredness or offense that may hinder us from the mission that we are called to in this world. For it is in Christ Jesus we live and we hope till the very end. Amen.